Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. Brethren in Christ, greetings. Did you know that the Bible has numerous passages that call believers to exercise or practice biblical discernment. Think about Bible passages like Matthew chapter 7 verse 15, where Jesus tells his disciples or followers that watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And the key word there being watch out, that believers are called to watch out. But you also have passages like 1 John chapter 4 verse 1, where the Apostle John says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Therefore, brothers are called upon to test the spirits behind these prophets. And the Apostle Paul also writing to the Thessalonians, when you read First Thessalonians chapter 5 from verses 20 and uh, 21, the Apostle Paul writes to them saying, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Brothers, as you can see, there is no need to convince you that the biblical discernment is a much needed gift and skill in our churches today. But what makes it especially important? Remember what the Apostle John just said. That believers are called to test every spirit because false prophets have come into the world. And it's not just false prophets, it's false teachers, it's false pastors, it's false apostles, it's false teachings that come in various forms and various shades. And sometimes this false teaching is within the form of a group or an institution that underscores that kind of teaching. I would like to speak to you for a moment about one particular group that should cause concern to every believer. And that group is called Oneness Pentecostalism. That Oneness Pentecostals, who are sometimes known as the Jesus-only cult, have serious errors that should be noted by all Bible-believing believers and that should serve as a warning for them, not only to discern their error, but to distance themselves from that error and warn and inform as many believers as possible that they may not be victim to the deceptive errors of this particular movement. While there are a number of errors that one could point out among oneness Pentecostals, two of them especially will be the center of my focus, and that is their understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity and their emphasis on baptism in the name of Jesus only. Now concerning the nature of the Trinity, I should remind you that real Christians have always believed that there is one true God. And numerous Bible passages teach us this. For example, in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 10, we have that verse where God declares saying, Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. That Bible believers believe in the one true God or the oneness of God, if I may put it that way. But merely believing in one God only doesn't really guarantee that someone is a genuine Christian. 
James chapter 2 verse 19 for instance tells us that even the demons believe that there is only one God and they tremble. However, you and I know that demons are not saved nor are they candidates of heaven even though they believe rightly about the fact that there is only one true God. Now for centuries, the biblical doctrine of the Trinity has rightly been considered a central and essential teaching of the historic Christian faith affirmed in fact by all true Christians everywhere. So what is the Trinity about? Well, by way of definition, and of course this is a simple summary of what scripture teaches about this important doctrine. We could simply state it this way, that the one true God eternally exists as three distinct co-equal and co-eternal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But as we've noted, today there is a group of churches that twist and changes what the Bible says about the oneness of God. And even though they may call themselves Pentecostals or oneness Pentecostals, we must remember that they are dangerously different in what they teach. Their main belief, which is actually a very ancient heresy called modalism, says that the biblical doctrine of the Trinity is false. Instead, what do they do? They misread the Bible to claim that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all just one person and that the three of them are called Jesus. Oneness churches trace this belief back to the third century heretic named Sibelius. Some of their followers also claim the doctrine was rediscovered by revelation at a Pentecostal camp meeting near Los Angeles in 1913. Now, it is important that you take note that oneness churches use many different names around the world, which makes it even more difficult to discern or detect their falsehood. And some of these names include the United Pentecostal Church International, the UPCI, or the World Christian Ministries Association, or even, as they are often called, the United Apostolic Church of Uganda in the case of Uganda. Now, many people simply know them as Jesus only or apostolic churches. In fact, if you can believe it, some oneness preachers like the singing group Phillips, Craig, and Dean are big celebrities among Christians who don't know their real identity. And you see, brothers, that's where the problem is. That it is possible that one might be innocently drawn into this kind of teaching or group without understanding what their central emphasis or teachings really are, simply because outwardly and by confession of mouth, they may sound like true Bible-believing Christians. So it, we need to be able to understand the deception, where the deception comes in, how we can discern it or detect it, and therefore be able to effectively denounce it. Here is also a very important fact as we think about this group. Did you know that oneness groups aggressively work to deceive and convert Christians who believe in the biblical doctrine of the Trinity? Now you would think that groups like this would be very aggressive in evangelizing non-believers, reaching out to Muslims, reaching out to people in Eastern groups like Hinduism or Buddhism. But no, guess what? They look for people who already confess Christ as their Savior and Lord. They look for those who already believe in the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. 
and those are the ones they waylay and deceive and hold captive. In fact, some of their missionaries boast about rebaptizing Trinitarian pastors and their congregations. Imagine a group coming in your home area, convincing the pastors of that area alongside the congregations that follow or believe in these pastors and take over the whole village, in essentially not only renaming it apostolic in terms of their identity, but rebaptizing both pastor and congregation. Very serious. So Bible Christians need to be warned about this group and especially, as I said, the two main teachings that set them apart, and that is their understanding of the Trinity, but also baptism in the name of Jesus only. We need to understand what these missionaries use to trap evangelistical believers into false worship. And these, as I said, are modalism or their understanding of the nature of the Trinity and requiring baptism only in Jesus' name. So, let's look first at modalism. As they approach the teaching of the Trinity, how do they see it? How do they understand it? What would they want you to believe concerning the teaching of the Trinity? But first of all, we need to have some definitions. When we talk about modalism, what are we really talking about? What is it? Modalism falsely claims that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all just one person. And each of them is simply a mode in which God operates. By way of example, modalists will say that the Trinity is like a man who plays different roles in his life. He might be a father, a husband, and a teacher. Now this does not mean that the father and husband and teacher are three different people. They are just different modes or titles that are being used by the same man. In the same way, modalism claims that God is only one person, but operates in three modes. The Father in creation, the Son in redemption, and the Holy Spirit in regeneration. According to Oneness Pentecostals, Jesus is the name of all three persons. We only call Jesus the Son when we refer to him after he was born here on earth. So you see the difference there. That when oneness Pentecostals think about the Trinity, they think about one person who is called Jesus, but who manifests in three modes, the Father in creation, the Son in redemption, and the Holy Spirit in regeneration. But beloved, you and I know that this is really not what the Bible teaches. Though we can't fully understand it, the Trinity I mean, Scripture reveals that within the nature of the one true God, there are three distinct persons, not modes please, not titles as well, but three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yet the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. For instance, in Galatians chapter 4 verse 4, or even John chapter 3 verse 16, these verses describe God the Son, that is Jesus, as living alongside God the Father before he was born on earth. You read John chapter 8, especially verses 17 and 18. Jesus appeals to the Old Testament law by stating that the testimony of two witnesses is true. And then he explains to us that I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Now, if Jesus 
is both the Father and the Son. As the oneness Pentecostals claim, then there would be only one witness. And that means Jesus' testimony would not be valid. And you can also see that argument in John chapter 5 verses 31 to 32. In John 14 verse 16 and 17, Jesus' father tells the disciples that he will ask the father to give them another helper or comforter, the Holy Spirit. Now the question is, is Jesus asking himself? Is the father sending himself? Indeed, this is completely different from someone who is a father, husband, and teacher at the same time. It would make no sense for the husband to say, I will ask the father, that is me, and he will send the teacher, that's me too. Though the relationship among the persons of the Trinity is hard for us to grasp, passages like John 14, 16 to 17 can only make sense if the father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons within the one being of God. You may also consider Matthew chapter 3 from verses 16 and 17 which describes Jesus being baptized, the Father speaking from heaven and the Spirit descending. We see all the three of them are right there in the same place at the same time. Yet each one of them is clearly distinct from the others. One God in three distinct persons. And that is what biblical historic Christianity stands on and affirms. Now, oneness Pentecostals will often quote verses like Colossians chapter 2 verse 9, which says that in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. This is a wonderful verse that tells us that Jesus is fully God, as you may know. But oneness followers will wrongly apply the passage to argue there can't be a distinct divine person beside Jesus. Now, what makes this logic false? For example, just because you, my listener, are fully human, this doesn't mean that no one else is human. You can be fully human in your nature, while at the same time, others are equally human. And in just the same way, Jesus is fully God, at the same time that the Father and the Spirit are also fully God. And there is no contradiction in that statement. Very important for us to understand. That sometimes even some of these followers will deliberately twist the scriptures to bring out a meaning that the Bible has not said or does not stand for or affirm. And we need to be discerning to see where some of those subtle twistings usually take place. Now, let's look also at this teaching of baptism that we said is a key cornerstone of oneness Pentecostal teachings. The requirement for baptism in Jesus' name only. Oneness cultists don't baptize in the name of the Father or of the Son or of the Holy Spirit. As we find especially in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 verse 19. They claim that the words Father, Son and Holy Spirit aren't names but titles. They reason that in order for us to obey Matthew 28 19, we must find out what the name, and that is one word, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit really is. Now, as I've already explained, oneness followers falsely teach that Jesus is the name of all three these three titles. They claim that this is why Peter, when he was preaching on Pentecost today, in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. They will also tell you 
that Jesus' words in Matthew 28:19 were never used by anyone in the book of Acts, and instead the disciples always baptized in the name of Jesus. They insist that true and correct baptism must always be done by speaking the exact words in the name of Jesus. But now, as I lay their premise for you to understand, you may already realize that there are some big problems with this oneness requirement. Now, first, Jesus is not the name of God the Father, as the Bible teaches us. In the four Gospels, Jesus himself sometimes uses the word we when he is talking about himself and his Father. You can see that, for instance, in John 14, 23. So, Jesus can't be the personal name of God the Father. But we should also remember that speaking the exact words in Jesus' name is not required for baptism. And here is why. The oneness argument only seems to make sense in English translations of the Bible. Because in the four separate accounts of baptism, in Jesus' name, the original Greek language uses different words. Oneness followers may tell you that these differences do not matter, but really they do. They really do, my friend. Ask yourself, if God were requiring an exact formula for us to speak, then why didn't he give us one? The formula would have to be precisely the same in every account, but it isn't as the evidence shows. Only Acts chapter 8 verse 16 and 19 verse 5 are identical. But instead of saying in the name of Jesus Christ as in Peter's sermon, they say in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 2 verse 38 and chapter 10 verse 48 are almost identical in the Greek New Testament, but they also use different prepositions. Hence, the wording in the four accounts have three different formulas. God doesn't require Christians to use an identical formula all the time and everywhere, as again the evidence shows us here. So, why do we find a difference between the accounts in Acts and the one in Matthew 28 verse 19? Well, the key to correctly understand the meaning of the phrase, in the name of Jesus, is where we usually have problems. And unless we understand what it means in the name of Jesus, we are bound to be conflicting as believers. This phrase does not mean that there is something magical about Jesus' name that makes the baptism valid. And I know especially as African believers who always think that there should be some magic here and there in what we believe or practice, it's very easy for us to, to, to superglue on the phrase as though apart from the phrase, the baptism itself would not be valid. But biblical testimony shows us that there is nothing magical really about mentioning Jesus' name and it does not validate the baptism. Instead, in the name of is a common expression that means by the authority of. So for instance, you may have heard somebody say, Hold in the name of the law. Now this does not mean that the law has an actual name of some kind. Instead, this is calling on the authority of the law to command somebody to stop. In the same way, when Peter said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, as he spoke to the paralytic who sat by the beautiful gate in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 3 verse 6, he wasn't using a mandatory formula for healing lame people. Peter healed the man by Jesus' authority. 
So when you read verses in Acts about baptism in Jesus' name, notice none of them quotes anybody actually speaking the phrase in the name of Jesus aloud when they baptize. Instead, all these accounts merely tell us that people were baptized in the name of, that is, by the authority of Jesus. No special words were spoken or needed. And importantly, Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 doesn't give us a formula either. Instead, it commands us to baptize by the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Throughout the centuries, Christians have used Matthew 28 when they baptize. Not because those words are required or magical, but because they are honoring the authority by which they are commanded to baptize. In short, it is not wrong to baptize using the words in the name of Jesus, but it is wrong to exclude others from salvation by saying that this is the only true and correct way for anyone to baptize, and that is the assertion of oneness Pentecostals, which is absurd. So now perhaps you are wondering if this is the, are the areas where oneness Pentecostals are in error. And you have told us the alternative biblical teaching that Christians throughout history has affirmed and should continue to affirm even in the generations to come. How should we respond to all this? What must we do? Well, first, we must not be deceived into false worship. The Bible commands believers to worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Psalms 29 verse 2. God's call to worship, we must always remember, is not a burden, but should be a delight to all Christians. As we consider the wonders of God's nature, the riches of His majesty, and the depth of His love, our response should be worship. The question, however, is, how are we to worship God? Jesus explains in John 4 verse 24, that those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That is according to how he reveals himself in the scripture. Today we have so many African Christians that claim to be worshipping God. The question however is, are they worshipping him in spirit and in truth? And as we have learned, the God preached by oneness Pentecostals is not the true God of the Bible and must be rejected. Anyone who is worshipping the oneness Pentecostals God is worshipping a false God and that cannot be true biblical worship. How tragic for a Christian to be deceived by this cult, become an enemy of Christ and his people and waste the rest of his or her life worshipping a false God. We really must take heed that we are not just worshipping, but we are worshipping in spirit and in truth. Second, we must recognize that oneness Pentecostal missionaries divide the body of Christ. They are not just fulfilling the mandate of the Great Commission, but they are dividing people who are already Trinitarian Christians and bringing them into their camp where they deny and distort teachings like the doctrine of the Trinity. They come to Christians as wolves in sheep's clothing, that Jesus warned us about in Matthew chapter 7 verse 15. They confuse Christians about God in order to lead them into their cult. They even boast about rebaptizing Trinitarian pastors and entire congregations as though they were trophies and brothers. That is really absurd and heartbreaking. Very, very absurd. What attitude then should we have as Christians when we meet such oneness followers? Should we meet them with anger? Should we try to expose their error and prove to them that we are actually right and they are wrong? Brothers, 
The Bible does not only tell us where the error is, but also defines the attitudes by which we should approach such people who disagree with biblical teaching. The Bible tells us, for instance, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, that we are to be ready to have an answer for them and to offer it with gentleness and respect. That we ourselves as believers must know what we truly believe or confess. And we must always be prepared by understanding not just what we believe, but the kind of error that they seek to bring into our midst and therefore be able to respond relevantly, to respond with knowledge and in truth, but even more so with gentleness and respect. We are called not to be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God would grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. There are many believers today in the camp of oneness Pentecostals who ignorantly or sincerely have bought into these erroneous teachings and they need some help from brothers like you and I. Men and women who carefully, who compassionately, yet courageously clarify the biblical teaching on the Trinity, on the baptism, and several other central aspects of the Christian faith in a way that is winsome. That these brothers who are in error may see the error of their ways and repenting indeed find mercy and grace before God. May God use your patience and prayers to help these people break free from this deception. May God above all guard you from such deception that standing free in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you, you may proclaim the wonders of his grace and his glory to those who are lost in error, especially in the errors of oneness Pentecostals. God bless you. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.